Well, good morning. Hey, um, just like Brock said, man, we've known each other for, uh, I don't know, like seven, eight years. I was actually looking through old Instagram posts this past week just to try to figure that out. So I, I want to say it's seven years, uh, if my math is right. And um, Brock was only about this tall when I met him. And uh, I guess not a whole lot has changed. But, um, but <laughs> I'm sure that's the first time he's heard that, too. But, hey, it really is a great honor for me to be here this morning and to be able to share for just the next couple of minutes um, with you on a passage that has really challenged me over the years. In fact, um, of all of the passages in Scripture that I could have preached on this morning, uh, when Brock let me know that I'd be talking about John chapter 5, I just, I just had to laugh a little bit because the protagonist in the story that we're going to read about in just a minute, he and I have kind of this history. You ever have those uh, characters in Scripture that you read about and you're like, man, I just, there's a tension here because I see myself in you, and it's just kind of annoying. Uh, that's this guy for me. I've preached on him multiple times. I've studied him over the years. I've read this scripture uh, more times than I, I care to admit, and it's just one of those stories where the Lord has consistently challenged me with his life, and so my hope and prayer is that this morning uh, you would be challenged by um, by what we're about to unpack together. But um, before I go any further with that, I want to just do what Scripture tells us to do. It says to give honor where honor is due. And uh, just like Brock did that for me, uh, I feel it's only fitting when I stand on his stage in this place um, just to give honor to your leadership. Um, Brock and Katie are some of the best people that we know. We absolutely love them. And uh, we're so proud of you guys for just all that uh, you are continuing to step into. We believe that God has incredible things for you, not just this church, but for you guys as individuals. And it's been just super fun for Ken's and I to, to see you from afar for years, growing and continuing to step into who God has called you to be. Um, but now we get that privilege of being literally right down the street. So it's amazing. And uh, we're so excited for you. And I just want to celebrate, man, years ago uh, when Brock was, again, this tall in our youth ministry, um, it was so cool just hearing his heart. I remember as a 21, 22-year-old, he's talking about this dream that God had placed in his heart to plant a church someday in a city that he loved. And, uh, and I was shocked. I mean, as at that time, I know it, it seems kind of crazy now. But at that time, you weren't hearing about a lot of 20-somethings planting churches. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking to myself, okay, first of all, it's crazy amounts of work to plant a church. And second of all, this is, this, that would be like groundbreaking in Minneapolis or wherever it is that you choose to, to plant to be that young. And, uh, but as we talked over the years and uh, I began to hear his heart more and more, he would talk about how this church would be defined by the way that it loved people by the way that they created space and room for people of all walks of life to come and sit at the table to experience the love of Christ. And I knew um, that what he was saying was, was actually going to come to pass. And so it's this beautiful, surreal experience for me to be standing, literally not just on a stage, but be standing 
and looking out over a dream that God seeded in someone's heart years ago. And so uh, no one knows the cost of leadership. No one knows the cost of uh, what it takes to build a church uh, until you start doing it. And I know it's been heavy and it's been hard at times, uh, but last week you guys celebrated as a community one full rear. One full rear, that's uh, <laughs> not half a rear. Anyways, uh, one full year, and uh, I just want to, I want to honor you for that, um, and just thank you for your obedience in leading God's, um, God's church, and so I believe that there's so much more in store for Agape, and for you guys, and uh, excited to be a part in any way that we can be. So, all that to say, we're going we're gonna to jump into John chapter 5, uh, beginning in verse 1. I'm going to b- read out of the ESV, and I like to say that I'm an, uh, an Apple guy. I have the trifecta of Apple products. Uh, the, I call it my Apple Orchard. I've got the a MacBook, I've got an iPad and an iPhone, and uh, I'm too for three tanking today, both my laptop and my iPad didn't work, so uh, the Lord just really wanted to test me today. Um, so we're going to go off of my phone here. Hopefully, I stick to my notes as best as we can. Um, all right, John 5, beginning in verse 1, says this, After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Verse 5, one man was there who had been an invalid for, get this, 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there for a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going in, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed, and he walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to take up your bed. Now, time out, two words. Petty religion, right? Leave it to the religious in the, in the room to have an issue with the fact that a man who had been laying there for 38 years, confined to the exact same place for 38 years, just so happened to be healed on the wrong day. How many of you know that that is, that that is something that has a way of seeping into church culture sometimes, Right? We can't seem to celebrate the victories and the healing and the rescue that God is doing in people's lives because we'd prefer to commentate. I just believe that this is not my message at all. This is just something that fires me up. We need to, as a community, begin to move beyond commentating on the way in which God does things and move and posture ourselves to be people who celebrate people who actually celebrate the progress in other people's lives. It doesn't matter that they don't look the same way that we do. It doesn't matter that God chose to deliver them in a moment, in an instant, at an altar, and it took you 10 years to find your deliverance. The bottom line is this. The more we celebrate, the more we're going to see God continue to move. And so we don't want to stifle progress. 
And we don't want to stifle growth that God wants to unleash because we are preoccupied with justifying all of the reasons why it's illegitimate. Amen? So, that was for free. Verse 11 ends by saying this. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. I just did what Jesus asked me to do. And guess what? He healed me. So, a little bit of context um, before we really unpack this scripture. The story is set, uh, as it said, in Jerusalem. And there were three kind of main feasts that would happen throughout the Jewish calendar uh, where people would come back and they would celebrate. They would literally come back to the city uh, to celebrate these feasts. It was the Passover, the Pentecost, and the Feast of the Tabernacles. And in this passage, Jesus in John 5 is coming back to be a part of the Feast of Tabernacles. And when you would go to the, the city, you would go through the temple. And essentially, uh, in order to get into the temple, there was a gate called the Sheep Gate. The Sheep Gate is exactly what it was. Shepherds would come in with their sheep, and they would go in through this gate, and there was a pool where they would have to wash their sheep, okay? So if you had sheep, you'd go in, you'd wash them off before you went into the temple. If you uh, didn't come with sheep, then you just went in on the other side, but the pool was sitting right in the middle, and it says that there, were, there was this, uh, on, the, on the side where the people were, there were five roofed colonnades, five porches, um, in other words, that had roofs on them. And the Bible tells us that these five porches had people all over. Multitudes of what? Invalids, sick people. And it says that there were blind people, and there were deaf people, and there were paralyzed people, and they would be on these colonnades, on these porches, resting next to this pool, the pool of Bethesda. Interestingly enough, the word Bethesda literally means the house of mercy. So think about that for just a moment. Here are people who are desperately in need of God's mercy who are desperately in need of deliverance, of healing. And here they are looking and staring right after, at it day after day after day. And what are they doing? They're waiting. Waiting for what? Well, the Bible tells us, not in the translation that I just read, but in other manuscripts and some translations, NIV would include this, it actually, in, in the verse, I don't know if you caught this in the translation I just read, but it jumps from verse 3 to verse 5. That's by design. The numbers were put in afterwards, of course, but it seems to suggest that something is missing here. Later manuscripts include verse 4, which goes on to say something, something to the effect of there was an angel that would come. There was this idea that an angel would periodically come and his wing would touch the waters. And whenever the angel's wings would touch the waters, the waters would begin to, to bubble. And there was this legend, this thought that, that whoever saw the water bubbling first and jumped in first was the one who would receive a healing. 
And so people from all over the, the ancient world would come to these waters because they had heard that this happened. Now, we don't know if this was actually true or if this was purely legend, but we do know this, that it stirred the faith of desperate people. Because how many of you know that when you need a healing, when you need breakthrough in your life, you're going to try anything, you're going to go anywhere, you're going to do anything just to get close enough to, to possibly touch it. And so here they are, and they're waiting for the water to bubble. Interestingly enough, it says that they're waiting in groups. They're clustered together according to their issues. So you've got the blind people together. You've got the paralyzed people together. You've got the deaf people together. And here they are in groups, grouped according to their issues, grouped according to the way in which they have been conditioned to see their worlds. Isn't that interesting? As I look at the text, I can't help but feel like, man, that's the way that we tend to operate as well. Have you ever noticed that we just kind of find people that are like us, people who have similar issues to us? That's why when we walk into church sometimes, it seems like all of the gossips, they kind of just find each other. Sorry if I'm stepping on some toes today. But you have the naysayers, and they kind of find each other, right? You have the people who have had bad experiences with church who just kind of gravitate towards each other, and then they form a life group. And then that life group, they find issues within the life group, and so they break off, and then they go to the next church, and they do the exact same thing because you always find people who have similar issues to you, right? We have these, this tendency of just gravitating towards that. What happens, and what's actually happening is that culture is being created. Culture is being formed in our little clusters. We just talk about what's been going on, and we talk about our issues, and we get so wrapped up in our issues that we actually don't even identify as people anymore, but we identify by our issue. Oh, I'm so-and-so, and I'm anxious. I'm so-and-so, hi, I have struggled with this for a long time. I'm so-and-so, I have this issue, I have this past. And we identify by our issues. And what happens in these cultures, in these clusters, is we sit around and we look at the promise and the opportunity that waits for us in the house of mercy but instead of actually diving in, we just sit around and we expect other people in our clusters to affirm us because we don't really want to be changed. We just want to be affirmed. We have a culture today that says, affirm me and accept me for who I am, but don't ask me to change. I don't want you to actually push me towards something different. I just want you to tell me it's okay for me to sit in my stuff because you know what I'm going through. I want you to tolerate me. I don't necessarily want you to push me to change. This is what culture is today. And yet, Jesus rolls up on the scene and he does something completely countercultural. Now, I said, I've, I've preached this before. I've I've literally read through this scripture hundreds of times, 
And I can't help but, but think every single time that I read this that what Jesus says is straight up messed up. It's just, it's just jacked up. Like, Jesus, you have no business saying what comes out of your mouth. Verse 5, he says what? Let's throw it up on the screen. Bear with me while I scroll on this tiny little thing. He says this, verse 5, one man, whoops, wrong verse. Come on. Turn to your neighbor and say something. That's what preachers always say, right, when they're trying to figure out what they're saying. So one man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. He was there for 38 years, and when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? Now, this would be like walking up to someone who's blind and saying, hey, how's the view, right? I mean, it just, to me, I, it, it reads really offensive, does it not? 38 years, the man has been confined, confined to the exact same place, the exact same condition, and Jesus walks up and says, do you, do you want to get healed? And we read that, and we say, wait a second, Jesus, like, why would you even ask that? It's a duh type of question. It's, a, it, it's a, an of course sort of answer that he would give you. And I think it's because Jesus literally is looking into this man's heart and he knows that this man, this man has excused away opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to actually be changed. And Jesus says, hey, there is more available to you, but I need to know that you actually want it. I want to know that you actually want to change. And and what Jesus is really asking him is, are you willing to begin to take responsibility for your change, for your healing, for your progress, are you willing to actually begin to take on some of the responsibility? And we have this culture within the church that says, well, I'm just going to show up, and I'm going to cross my arms, and I'm going to be in the presence, in the environment of the Holy Spirit. Like, I'm just going to be around God, but if he wants to change me, then he can come and get me. If he, wants to, if he wants something to change in my life, then he's going to have to show up, and he's going to have to do the work. And let me just tell you something. Jesus will never, ever, ever impose healing on your life. Jesus will never force you to heal. He, he will never, yes, amen. Jesus will never force you to begin to move forward in your life in any particular area. But he will always invite you to be a part of it. He will always invite you to move beyond your comfort, to embrace a little bit of discomfort so that progress can actually be had in your life. But he has to know that you're in this thing as well. So he asks him, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? Do you want to begin to take responsibility for your Do you want to begin to remove the label of victimhood that, has been, that you've lived under for years and years and years? Are you willing to give, give up your current way of life and begin to embrace some things that might feel uncomfortable for your own progress? And you would think that a man who has been laying there for 38 years 
would say a resounding yes. Absolutely, I want to, I'm so sick of, of being close, get this, close enough to see your healing available and yet far enough to not be able to actually embrace it. Anyone ever been there before where you can see the dream? You can see uh, the breakthrough in your marriage. You can see the breakthrough in your family. You can see the breakthrough that is fully available to you, and God's been speaking to you. This is it. This is the year. This is the opportunity. This is it for you. And yet it's, it just feels so far away. There's this tension, right? And Jesus rolls up, and he invites him to begin to change. And you would think, 38 years, he would say yes. But instead, listen to what he responds with. I think this is so telling of why he's been laying there for 38 years. He says this, instead of a simple yes, get me off this map, he says, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Excuses. Excuses. Jesus asks a simple question. The man responds with an excuse. And listen to what he says. He says, Jesus, I have no one. In other words, it's not up to me to be healed. It's not my responsibility. It's everyone else's responsibility to push me towards those things. Listen, Jesus is not here to enable us. Jesus does not call us, as much as we have been conditioned to believe in our culture today, that we serve a God who would come and coddle us and tell us, it's okay, yeah, we can sit here in the mess for a while. Jesus will not enable us. Jesus will not encourage us to stay where we are. He will encourage us to move beyond our comfort. And this man has lived his life under this narrative of there's no one who will do my job for me, who will help me to get where I need to get to. And what this sounds like today in our culture is, man, I just feel this call of God on my life. I feel like I'm supposed to be leading a church someday. I feel like I'm supposed to be uh, uh, a part of, of something massive for God. I, I feel like I'm supposed to be used of God in powerful ways, but no one's given me opportunities. Pastor Brock and Katie haven't let me touch the microphone one time, and I've been serving there for six whole months, and I show up twice a month, and, I, and, and, and yet the bottom line is this. The bottom line is that God, God is always inviting us to begin to take responsibility for our own healing. It is no one else's job to get you to your healing. I've been around church for a long time, and, uh, and I know this, that any growth that I've ever arrived at has only, only included two people, me and Jesus. Any healing that I've experienced in my life, yes, there have been people who have pushed me and encouraged me and, and, and given wise counsel, and that's so big, but at the end of the day, I'm the only one that can say yes to it. We can create a space and an environment week after week. Brock and Katie, they can create a space here week after week that would 
be amazing. The worship could be on point. Brock could preach the lights out. It could be amazing. And yet at the end of the day, people who walk in with issues could walk out with the exact same issues week after week after week. And it comes down to a simple yes. We can't say your yes for you. We can't, we can't get you to move from your comfort. That's only something that you can do. And so I think one of the takeaways from this week might be for you to consider who are the people that I have been passing off the blame onto who have, who have kept me confined? I've been saying it's because of so-and-so that I, can't, that I can't move. It's because of my past. It's because of my dad. It's because of my mom. It's because of something that happened to me and something that someone spoke over my life years ago. And listen, I get that. I've been in that place before. I, I've, I've said that narrative before so many times. But the reality is that no one, no one is worth 38 years of your life. No one is worth 38 years of you staying in the exact same place, looking out at all that's available to you and yet not being able to attain it. It's time for you to move. It's time for you to put away the excuses, to stop passing on the blame, and to get up and to walk. He goes on to say this, and I'm going to close here soon. If my phone will load. You guys are so gracious. Thank you. You're, luck you're actually lucky that my notes did go down because I literally have like 10 pages worth of notes. So Lord knew you needed a reprieve from long-winded preach long preachers. This is no, I'm not making this up. I am scrolling this, this much. Verse 8, Jesus says, get up. Take up your bed and walk. Now, I know that sounds oversimplified, right? And, and it's not necessarily fair for me to stand up here and say, well, just get up and walk. Get up and do something. Listen, I have seen and experienced and been around people and even felt the effects of this myself, the heaviness of depression and anxiety. And I, can know, I know sometimes, man, you can, you can try to will yourself to move, and it just doesn't happen. I've been around people over the years in ministry who have struggled with addictions, and they can try to will themselves to break it. And it's just not breaking. But the reality is this. What I've found is that what does break it is us beginning to embrace a new identity. Is to begin to untangle our identity from our issue, or our issue from our identity. And to say, I am not this anymore. But in fact, God has called me a son. He's called me a daughter. And so I'm going to begin to, even as, uh, as woven together as it may seem, as, as uh, bound up as it may be, 
I'm going to begin to do the hard work of untangling all of the lies that this is who I am, this, this, is, this is what I am, this is who I will always be. I'm going to begin to diffuse those lies and embrace the truth of who I am. And what Jesus is doing when he says, get up and walk, is he's saying, listen, you, have, you don't have a problem. There is potential within you that has yet to be realized. And I, what I love about God is that he will always speak to our potential, not to our problems. He will always speak to the potential within us, not to our problems. He will always speak to our identity, not to our issues. And Jesus invites us today to get up from where we've been, to get up and over the mindsets that have become so ingrained for years and years and years and to begin to embrace this posture of just being a son and a daughter and saying, this is who I am. This is who I am. I know I've been telling myself otherwise for years, for 38 long years. But today I'm making the simple choice, the simple choice to say, yes, I can walk with you, Jesus. Yes, I can walk into freedom. Yes, I can walk into a narrative that looks a little bit different than what has been afforded me over the years. Jesus says, get up. And he says, pick up your bed and walk. And a lot of people, when they preach this out there, would say, how dare Jesus tell us to do something so oversimplified? The way I see it, how dare Jesus invite us to do something that seems a little bit hard, right? How dare Jesus to call us into something greater than the life that we've been living? And yet, if you look throughout Scripture, all you'll see is that there is always an invitation for more. That's what, about, what I love about Jesus is that I might be broken down, I might be jacked up, I might be um, in, in, in my head, and I, I might be going through it, but there is always, always an invitation from the Lord to seek more. If you would take my hand and if you would walk with me, I promise you there's more for you. And so it says in verse, I believe it's verse 9, it says, at once, at once, the man gets up and he takes up his bed and he begins to walk at once. What I love about this text is that Jesus isn't saying, hey, go and run a marathon. How absurd would that be if Jesus looked at this guy who's been laying where he's been laying for this long and, sa and, and says, get up and run a marathon. Like that, it, it's one thing to say, get up and walk. It's another thing to say, get up and run a marathon. And yet I think that sometimes that's the way we interpret it. I think sometimes we look at this text and we say, Jesus, you're asking too much. No, I'm not. I'm asking you to just take one step. I'm asking you for, to, to just, to just get, get yourself up. Get yourself moving. Get yourself in a small group. You keep talking about the, the fact that you don't have community. Find a small group. Pastor Brock, Katie, the team, they get up week after week, join a Z group, join a Z group. I should do that. I should really do that someday. 
ah, it's okay. I'd like to just talk about the fact that I don't have enough friends in my life right now. Instead, it feels a little more comfortable. Listen, it's up to you. Man, I, I want to see breakthrough in my marriage. I want to see breakthrough in my marriage. I want to see breakthrough. And yet, it's so much easier to just talk about the fact that you didn't have a good model of what a marriage looks like than to actually identify good models all around you in church circles and people even in your workplaces that God is highlighting and saying, they've got it. Go pursue them. Just go engage them in a conversation and say, hey, can we do coffee? God is giving us an invitation to take one simple step. It's not our job. It's not our job to run a marathon. It's not our job to do the actual work of healing, but God always invites us into our own healing. In fact, as you read throughout these next few weeks and you study the different signs uh, in the book of John, what you'll notice is a very common thread, that Jesus rarely will do something without inviting someone into what he's doing because his prerogative is community. His prerogative is, is companionship. It's communion with his people. And so we have that option. We have that opportunity to step into the more that God has in store for us. So I want to end today, and uh, I don't know how I'm doing on time. I don't know what time you guys usually end. Are we good? Okay, sweet. Another 45? Okay, good. Because you know when you say we're going to end today, that's really only ending number one. And then you go into, especially if we had, like, music up here, it would go another 45. Easy, easy. I want to end today with, uh, with a, a series of questions just for you to mull on, mull over. Uh, the first one is this. What is, what is your mat? What's the bed that you've been sleeping on lately? What does it look like? You know how comfortable it, it can be, right? One of the hardest things sometimes, especially when you have three young kids, is getting yourself out of bed. <laughs> Pulling yourself up and saying, we can do this. Because it just feels so comfortable, and you want to embrace it. You want to just kind of live there, right? You've become really comfortable on a bed of sorts, on a narrative, on a story that you've been telling yourself for a long time. And no growth will take place until you identify and you call it what it is. You need to start naming your bed. Some of you are like, I'm not tracking right now. Does that mean I need to call my full-size bed? (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) I don't know. You need, you need to go home and you need, you need to sit, sit with yourself and say, sit with yourself, what am I saying? Um, you need to sit down and, and you need to say, what, what are the things that I've just, I've just been replaying over and over and over? What, what is the story that I have been telling myself over and over and over again? If you can't see it, then you'll never move off of it. Secondly, Who have you been passing blame onto for your condition? Who are the the key characters who keep coming up in your story? 
who you keep saying it's their fault that I'm not further along in my story. You need to sever that narrative as well. You need to say, I'm not going to live into that lie anymore, but instead I am going to take full ownership of where I am today. You have a vision that God has deposited in your heart for your future. And it's time for you to silence every other voice but his and to begin to pursue those things today. It's just you and him. Thirdly, what's your next step? Not the, not the last step, okay? Not the finish line, not the marathon, but what is your next step? For some of you, it's as simple as picking up the phone, shooting a text to the person that you have had a broken relationship with for years and saying, hey, I want to sit down and I want to hash this out. Maybe you don't say what it is in, in the text. Just try not to text too long, but maybe just send them a quick text and say something like, hey, can we do coffee? And then they'll be sitting and they'll be saying, why are we going to do coffee? I wonder if they're going to apologize finally. And that sort of thing. Just kind of, it builds intrigue and they will be excited to do coffee with you, okay? So don't give it all away. Um, I don't know what I'm saying. But, no, but, but honestly, for some of you, it's, uh, it is, it is that hard step, but it's a great first step of seeking a counselor. Saying, I, I'm done with living where I've been living. I'm done with some of the, the patterns that I've established in, in, in my mind. Mindsets that I have, have just gotten so used to over time that I, I do, I, I need to get past the stigma. Some of you, it's, it's as simple as this. Hey, I know I need to see a counselor, but I don't have the strength to get past the stigma that counseling is wrong, so you invite a friend into that story with you, and you say, hey, I want, I, I need your help just making a phone call for me. Could you do that? How many of you know God would honor that step? God, would, God honors tiny steps, right? The Bible says do not despise small things, right? In fact, that's where God is often. Check the stats, man. He's, al he's always close to the brokenhearted. He's always close to the small people, people who feel small, people who feel like, oh, I'm not doing enough. He's close to them. Maybe for some of you, what that looks like is joining a volunteer team. You know that God has gifted you. He's given you a, an opportunity, or he's given you a vision to lead at greater capacities, and you've been so shy and in your head and, and saying, I could never do that. Listen, it could be as simple as you saying, hey, could I greet at the front? Could I, just, could I just hold a sign and smile at someone for a little while? And, and what God would do if you would just take that simple step is he would nudge you along into greater and greater and greater, but he can't do anything until you take a first step. So what's your next step? And lastly, and worship team, you can come up, just play some background music here, and we'll see if we can go another 45. Lastly, what's at stake? What's at stake? Because you understand that the story is really never about just you, right? You understand that this man gets off of a mat 
And Jesus uses this story, his healing, his deliverance, to impact everyone there who's looking on. Jesus uses this man's story to impact generations. Could you imagine the story that he has for the rest of his life to tell his kids and his grandkids, hey, I, for 38 years, I stayed in the exact same place. For 38 years, I lived telling myself this story over and over and over and over again, and then one day, I took a step, and everything changed. And because I took a step, a courageous step, I'm now able to have this conversation with you and encourage you to take some steps as well. Listen, just to, to make this personal, I'm 32. I know I look not a day over 21. Thank you so much. I work out a couple times a year. Um, 32. And uh, I have to admit that for at least a good 28, 29 years of my life, I played the same story over and over again. Told myself I wasn't significant. Told myself I had no value. I grew up in a house with two parents who were immigrants. And uh, I watched them work their tails off day after day after day after day. And still at the end of the day, struggled to figure out how they were going to make ends meet. And over time, I embraced this narrative of I don't have enough. We don't have enough. And it was this poverty mindset that had deposited itself into me in a deep way. And it eventually evolved into what I said at first, is that I'm not enough. I'm not good enough as a husband. I'm not good enough as a father. I'm not good enough as a leader. I'm not a good enough church leader. I could never lead a ministry. I, I'm not going to engage enough people. I can't do it. I'm not enough. And I just feel like the Lord over the years has just invited me into a new story. He's done it gracefully at times. <laughs> and at other times, he's done it in the same way that he did with this man and said, Hey, Matt, do you, do you actually want to get well? Like, do, you want, do you want to move from where you've been? Because the way I see you, you're not, you're not an invalid. You're not invalid. You are marked. You are marked by my fingertips. You are my son, and I see you for who you are. And if you would begin to embrace that, not that you are impoverished, not that you are lacking in any way, but that you have the fingerprints of God on your life, everything would change. And I'm just here to say, I haven't, I haven't fully arrived yet. <laughs> but I know this, that I am off the map. Because I've taken some steps. And every day, I, man, there's that... There's that tendency to want to just lay in my bed. But there's also an invitation that I feel and I hear from the Lord that, hey, there's more for you. There's more for you. Would you get up? And would you face the day? Because there's so much more at stake than just you getting off the mat today.
So I want to pray for you this morning and um, pray that God would help you to identify the narrative, to identify your mat, and to do all three of the other things that I said that I forgot because I don't have notes. All right? Can I do that for you? Father, we thank you that you see more for us than we could ever think or imagine. It's in the book. And thank you, God, that you don't just you don't just wave your hand over the area that needs healing like a magic trick, God. But you invite us to actually begin to be a part of our own healing. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, that you have invited us to move from our comfort today to embrace some discomfort so that we can arrive at the greater things that you have in store for us. We believe, God, that you have breakthrough right around the corner for all of us, God. And I pray that we would just, um, God, move from... uh, we, we would just demystify the fact that, Lord, breakthrough looks like us literally standing up and, and, and running around like crazy from where we've been to, to, to this new freedom. But, but, God, that we would also understand and celebrate the fact that sometimes freedom comes with a simple step. And that we would be committed to that first, God. That we wouldn't overcomplicate things today, but we would just say, what's the one thing, God? What's the one thing that you would have me do? And that, God, we wouldn't just talk about it. We wouldn't have coffee dates with other people to talk about it. God, we would stop just talking, and we would start, uh, God, we would stop using uh, prayer and, and talking as, as, as a means of, of excusing away why we, why we can't move forward, but we would actually move forward, God. We would actually do something today, small as it may be to experience healing and wholeness and freedom in Jesus' name. We thank you, God, that what you have for us is great. And we say yes, God, to all of it today. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said amen.